Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show hypnotherapist and author Courtney Starkey. Now, I was introduced to Courtney via Ken Corigliano, one of the most high-performing human beings I know, and she was kind enough to offer me a session, and I can say hand on my heart that since that single session, there wasn't an immediate noticeable effect, but for days and then a couple of weeks after, I've watched my mind become clearer, my discipline to be a little bit stronger, I've written more of my new book and drank less. So in this conversation, we discuss a host of topics from her own traumatic upbringing, her journey into hypnosis and the role of empath, tapping into souls and powers outside of ourselves and even this present life, the concept of genius, her books, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of almost 800 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Courtney Starkey. Enjoy. Courtney, I want to start by saying, firstly, thank you to Ken Cogliano for connecting us. And secondly, to welcome you to the Behind the Shield podcast today. It's my pleasure knowing you both. <laughs> so where on planet Earth are we finding you this afternoon? Washington State today. But if this was happening two days from now, Hawaii. <laughs> so let's talk about that. What's drawing you to Hawaii? Oh my gosh. Oh, well, do we start with the normal version of the conversation or the weird version of the conversation? I think Let's weird. do a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the normal version is that I used to live there. And so it's home. No matter what my street address technically is, Hawaii is home. And so that's a good segue into the weird version, which is, you know how people are familiar with the concept of soulmates and they think of those in terms of romantic relationships. I think that we have a wide variety of soulmates, including geographic locations. And for me, Hawaii definitely feels like a soulmate. And it also feels like an incubator. Whenever I spend time there, there is some massive growth and potential that opens up and blossoms when I'm there. And I'm about to be there for a full month. So June's going to be really interesting. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, then I said this morning, I mean, it's actually your, sorry, this afternoon, it's your morning at the moment as well. So I would love to start at the very beginning of your journey, because I'm sure, I mean, a lot of people are familiar with your work, obviously, that you, that you know, but uh, I'm intrigued as to how that journey began for you. So tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. Okay. It was on a Friday <laughs> in Battle Creek, Michigan. And I actually only lived in Michigan for the first two months of my life. And then we almost immediately moved to Appalachia, which is very interesting. And a lot of people will ask me why I don't have much of a Southern accent and I think it's because the first words that I was hearing growing up didn't really have 
a Southern accent. So grew up in Appalachia and then um, made my way to UVA for undergrad. Um, and when it comes to siblings, I have, I find this, I find to be really, really interesting. I have one younger brother. He really has a Southern accent and he and I have done almost the exact same path, except for I've done the weird spiritual version of it. And he's done the very traditional version of it. So he is an ER doctor and I'm a hypnotherapist. So we've both gone into healing in a way that is highly effective for people. And then he is very religious and I am very spiritual And I remember one time he completed the Appalachian Trail. He was a through hiker. And then not long after I did a seven week meditation retreat, I was like, oh, this is my through hike (laughs) because it's just, it's so extreme. So he and I get along really, really well, even though we're so different. Um, And yeah, it feels like a very interesting parallel path. What do your discussions look like when you go back and forth in a very positive way, spirituality versus religion? Well, it is very positive, but I seem to see that overlaps more easily than he does. <laughs> so, so I get a lot of funny looks from him while we're talking about it. And I give him a lot of giggles while we're talking about it. But basically, we're both very open minded and believe that being kind and being loving is really the most important above all of the other things. It's a conversation I've had a lot on here with all kinds of people, but I grew up in the UK and and Ireland, Northern Ireland had a lot of troubles and people of the same faith were murdering each other. And then you look at, you know, some of the more recent wars. And to me, that's exactly what I might consider myself spiritual, but there's so much wisdom in and common denominators in a lot of these ancient texts. And yet, for some reason, the core values of kindness, compassion, gratitude seem to be lost, even though, you know, that's what should be preached all the time. So you get these people, some people that align with some of these religions specifically, and then they're out, you know, putting bombs out of other people's cars or hanging people a different color from trees or whatever it is. And it's 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 it's, it's strange to me that when that common denominator surpasses all religious boundaries which is kindness compassion love etc that that's still a hard sell to some people within a religion itself mm-hmm. i have a theory about that you know how 2020 was a little weird a little bit <laughs> yeah so that had me doing a lot of deep thinking and what we saw in 2020 and also what you're talking about i would refer to as something akin to tribalism right so this is my belief. This is my tribe. I'm going to cling to it really, really tightly. And for me, it feels like it all goes back to our evolutionary process. And if you belong to the community, to the tribe, your survival odds go way up. And if you're ostracized by the tribe, then your odds of survival go way down. So I think that sometimes people are so extreme in their belief systems to stick with that tribe because underneath all of it is that they just want to live. Yeah, it's interesting because that's a parallel to a lot of the professions that are listening. We have a tribe in the fire service and in law enforcement. And, you know, tribalism can be extremely nurturing, but sometimes there's a negative connotation to it. And when we transition out, we get hurt, we get fired, we retire 
there's that spiritual, emotional feeling of abandonment that a lot of people struggle with. So whether it's a religion, whether it's a profession, there are so many parallels to exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. The sense of community is amazing whenever it's healthy and functioning and full of love. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the blue zones and that one of the key components of the longevity of the blue zones is a strong sense of community. Um, and that I think there's research on that you live longer if you get more hugs. I mean, it really is so important to everything. And it's just nice to remember the kind, compassionate, loving side of that, that you can be within a, a loving tribe rather than a defensive tribe. <laughs> Now, educate me. If I'm remembering rightly, the blue zones are the areas where people have the, the most longevity. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So one area that I talk about a lot, well, I've heard about a lot, excuse me, that I, that I then discussed because I lived in Japan is Okinawa. And yes, that they have, you know, some amazing um, healthy food. I mean, a lot of stuff is, is from the ocean and you've got seaweed and rice and all these things. But if you actually watch documentaries on it, the elderly men and women are like children. They've never lost that sense of play. And I think that's a huge component as well, aside from the nutrition and the exercise. Yep, yep, definitely have fun. What's interesting too with hypnotherapy, particularly the spiritual variety of hypnotherapy, is I'm finding for myself, my clients, my students, my students' clients, that a lot of us are reverse aging. And it's that that playful spirit really starts to come back once you've connected to these things that are so loving and are within you, but also feel like they're outside of you. Like it's something that's greater than you and has such a loving energy. And so it's like, you're allowed to become a childlike playful spirit again, because you feel so loved and secure. And what's interesting is in, in addition to that internal de-aging, that youthful spirit returning, a lot of us are looking a lot younger than we used to. And some of the students, it only even takes a few weeks before they start to glow and look younger. And I've had so many clients. Um, I have this picture on my website of me and Brian Weiss because he's like such a heavy hitter in the hypnosis community. So of course it's featured on my website and it's from nine years ago. And I look younger now than I did nine years ago. So it's such a good testament to you if you have that youthful energy and it's not just on the inside, it helps you with your, um, your glowing as well as your bodily <laughs> um, longevity. It really is an important factor to be happy to have fun to play. See, I've seen it in myself. I've been out the fire service for pretty much five years now. And at first, one of the biggest things is I've forgotten how to be not not happy, but literally playful. I've lost that. And I've always had that. I was a cheeky little bugger in most of my life. But, you know, you lose that because of all the horrible things you see. And ironically, I just was uh, with my wife yesterday and there was a fatal motorcycle wreck on the other side of the road. And she, I, she, we were in two different cars. So she saw the body covered and I didn't. And we had this conversation about, you know, how do you guys deal with that, et cetera, et cetera. But I told her there's just different modes. But the problem is I think you get locked in that ability to see trauma and that comes at the cost of that innocence that playfulness that i've been able to start to refine again and i'm more playful now at 49 than i was at 39 yeah i have a question since you guys see so much death is there anybody who counsels you on the beauty of what it's like on the other side is there anybody showing you what the silver lining is 
No, no. I think the closest that you get to that, which is consoling if you subscribe to that particular religion, is the whole God has a plan, you know. But if, like myself, you don't subscribe to a particular religion, um, that's not in any way shape you know, appeasing, actually quite the opposite, almost angering in a way. And you've just lost sure. a three-month-old child. Well, God has a plan. You know, I, I, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, that's me. But um, but no, so with that, you know, that understanding spirituality and what's next and everyone's different kind of perceptions of that, that's not really – I mean, we're, we're so far behind. We're not even having the most basic conversations. And I would consider that a more mature conversation and we're still kind of white belts in the mental health world and in the first responder mm -hmm. communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, I completely understand that notion of God has a plan and it's just like, there's the beauty to it. And then there's the, this is a terrible plan <laughs> aspect to it. Um, one thing that's nice as well is just feeling in spiritual hypnotherapy, getting to feel the energy of the spirit realm yourself firsthand. So it's not this, somebody telling you secondhand, oh, there's a plan and trust me, it's great. You actually get to feel it yourself, which is really, really nice. And then for me, even with knowing about the silver linings and the soul's path and all of that and feeling the energy of the spirit realm firsthand, I still, if, if a three-month-old passes, I still think that it is sad and awful, but I allow myself to feel that deeply, quickly, and then allow all of that to process through me and then move back into the happiness. So I don't avoid the feelings. I think that the feelings are very important. Um, but the deeper and faster I feel them, the easier it is for me to get to the other side and go back to the remembering how beautiful everything is. So speaking of that, when I was young, when I look back now, I would consider myself an empath. Like I had some very strange perceptions like i used to think as a very young boy i'm looking at everyone now but behind me is the world stopped is everyone an actor which is a very kind of deep you know psychological concept and i'm talking about single digit child um had a lot of as we discussed in in our session a lot of um negative spiritual experiences in my home whether it was actually spirits or whether it was trauma from childhood manifesting as that but definitely felt very connected to you know, the world and nature and had that kind of kindness and compassion from a very early age. You found yourself in this profession now. When you look back, you know, how sensitive, what was your perception when you were a little girl? I love this question so much because a lot of people think, oh, Courtney, you must have been like this as a kid. You must be somewhat psychic. You must be I'm like, no, I was a bit of a doofus as a kid. <laughs> I don't remember anything like this. I mean, I, I do remember having some prophetic dreams that happened a couple of times, but other than that, it's really a goose egg for me. I just, I didn't have anything <laughs> that would happen, which is actually a nice testament to you can just feel like a pretty average normal person and then start experiencing spiritual hypnotherapy and blossom very, very quickly. It's not something that you necessarily have to have as a gift all along, but that's fascinating that you were having those thoughts when you were so little. And I would say that you're onto something. Was, I think you're accurate. It was weird. But with that then, so, so many people that come on the show I'm just I'm blown away by how much trauma there is in the world. And again, we'll talk about not looking at things purely negatively, but things that at the time people felt very vulnerable, they were, they were, they were hurt. Um, 
so much more than I think people realize, so much more, especially people in uniform. When you look back at your childhood, were there any elements from that side? From the um, traumatic side? Yes. Oh, loaded up. I mean, <laughs> basically wall to wall. Yeah, I had a really rough childhood. So I can you, get into it if you want yeah, to. It's no, up to let's, you. <laughs> I'm gonna, seeing as you had the microphone on me, I'm going to flip it around on you. So there's something you know that a lot of people do open up and they're, you know, they're, they're expanding. This is, this is the safe place because I think, sadly, that's something that we kind of brush under the rug and it makes people uncomfortable. But these are the very conversations that people do need to hear because most of us are actually experiencing the same thing. Yeah, it is a really good conversation because sometimes I will have clients that that are not quite as happy as I am. And they'll say to me, not knowing about my history, they'll say, oh, well, things must come easy to you. Um, You must have really nice parents. I'm like, "Mm, (laughs) no, (laughs) actually. And then what's interesting is as soon as they find out that I had a rocky upbringing, it's almost like I get credibility instantaneously. And people will say to me, oh, Courtney, are you always happy? And the answer is actually no, I am not. I'm just really good at compartmentalizing. So all of that trauma still lives in there. And I think that it still has a purpose. Um, have you ever heard of the shadow self or shadow work? Are you familiar with I, that? I have actually. Um, Deepak Chopra co-wrote a book on that. And I remember reading it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually even okay with all of that still remaining as a part of me because you just never know when you're going to need that side of yourself to come to the forefront and protect you. So I really appreciate and honor everything that I went through as a kid um, and would never want to get rid of any of that. But I do think that it's a far happier and healthier life to um, to move into the the understanding the purpose of why it happened, the positive aspects of why it happened. Um, And also, like I was saying earlier about emotions, feeling them deeply, but not staying stuck in them, allowing them to be part of you, but not mm, become your identity. And so for me, I don't like to malign other people. I think they probably did the best that they could, that whole thing. Um, But my parents just weren't ready to be parents and didn't really know how to handle a strong personality like me. I'm one of those kids that came out of the womb, just really assertive and very confident, cocky maybe. Uh, And I remember learning the word belligerent for the first time when my father said that I was belligerent. I was like, well, I'm going to have to look that up. Good old dictionary, right? Find the bees. look it up old school style. And yeah, yeah, I was just very, very assertive about my opinion. And I'm actually a lot like him. And so I took the brunt of his abuse because my whole life, I felt like this wild horse that he was trying to break and I just simply couldn't allow it. And my brother has a much more mm, palatable personality. So he didn't take the brunt of it. It was always me. Um, and so it was, it was interesting growing up that way, basically just being told that you're bad and getting physically abused for what was your innate personality. So when you look through the lens that you have now, where did that trauma come within your mother and father? If you go back a generation. Well, it's really interesting because I don't know that much about my family. I actually don't, I, I do still have a good relationship with my brother, but I don't talk to my parents at all. um, That feels like a healthier choice for me. And so I really don't know that much about their upbringing. I know that my father stopped talking to his father. So clearly there was something there. And my mother doesn't even know what happened 
between the two of them. So it's just this big mystery about what occurred. Um, and then with my mother, she was always her mother's favorite child. And she gained that um, reputation for always being so appeasing. And so you've got this one personality, my father, who's very aggressive and domineering. And then my mother, who mm, I think as kids, you hope that your mother is going to protect you. But she just didn't have it in her. She needed to try to get along really well. And so I was the problem child. And my brother wasn't being abused. And my mother wasn't being abused. And it was just me. So understandably, it looked like I was the problem. And let's be honest, I was pretty sassy. So... (laughs) Well, with that, as far as outlets, were you playing sports? Were there any other passions that you had? Oh, yeah, for sure. I love athletics. I think that that's so much fun. Um, So I was a softball player temporarily, not that good at it. Um, And I like to say this, I think, oh, and volleyball, also temporary, not that good at it. What I actually excelled at was cheerleading. And I always like to say it was the athletic version (laughs) of cheerleading. You know, sometimes cheerleaders are extremely cute and they're all like glammed up. Yes, we were cute, but we were the ones that were in the gym every day and running laps every day and seeing who could max out on the bench press. And so that was the type of cheerleaders that we were. So I got that that team feeling as well as having all that pep, getting to dance and you know run about and jump and do choreography and, and smile and emote. And yeah, so cheerleading was a really, really wonderful outlet for me. And the girls were so great. They were really, really great. Like there were multiple times when I would have to leave home and I would end up staying with one of them, which is really, really nice to have that support system. Beautiful. That's good to hear because, I mean, sadly, cheerleading is one of those pastimes that has a negative connotation. You know, if you look at any any 80s movie, for example, it's always the mean cheerleader. But again, as we talked about before, you didn't feel that sense of belonging in the family specifically. And now it was cheerleading that became your tribe. Yeah, we were really nice. It was actually our graduating class that seemed to shift that paradigm because all of the classes before us would never invite us, the younger ones, to anything. And so we just made a decision that we wouldn't do that to the younger cheerleaders. And so our class was the one that brought everybody in. So we were pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about career aspirations? When you were in the kind of high school age, what were you dreaming of becoming? Okay, so this is a really funny story which again should inspire a lot of people that you don't need to be great in any way, shape or form when you're younger to be able to achieve amazing things when you're older. So I actually wanted to be a psychologist. And if you pay attention to anybody in the um, mental health profession, probably 10 times out of 10, they all have some stuff that they were dealing with while they were growing up, hence their interest in psychology at such a young age. And so I thought that I would be a psychologist, that I would, I I really lucked out. This is a miracle story in itself. I really lucked out getting into UVA. I don't know how much you know about that school, but the um, year that I gained acceptance into UVA, it was tied with Berkeley for the number one public university in the United States. I did not know that when I applied. I just applied to the university that my boyfriend at the time was going to. I applied (laughs) to one school. I had no idea that it was number one until I was there and saw in the, the college or university newspaper that it was tied for number one. That's how I found out. (laughs) So, so, um, thought that I would be a psychologist, 
almost immediately failed out of the psychology classes, but the classes where I did well were my literature studies. And so I became an English major by default. Um, so yeah, growing up, wanted to be a psychologist. UVA had other plans, which I am extraordinarily grateful for because if I had gone the more mainstream traditional route of education and getting into psychology, I don't know that I would have been able to stay so open-minded to alternative types of healing, such as spiritual hypnotherapy. But yeah, growing up, thought I was going to be a psychologist, wanted to be a veterinarian also, but had a lot of allergies to animals. So that one got scrapped. Want to quickly say, because I'll regret it if I forget to, getting to experience spiritual hypnosis has alleviated all of my allergies, really? food allergies. Yeah. Food allergies gone, pollen allergies gone, animal allergies gone. I used to be loaded up with so many allergies. And I think it's pretty well known that stress is an exacerbator of allergies because stress is so inflammatory. So it makes sense that if you have a more peaceful existence, that your inflammation is going to go down uh, as a result of your stress going down. So yeah, almost no allergies. Who knows? Maybe in my next life, I can still be a veterinarian. So what you're <laughs> telling me, What's that? <laughs> so what you're telling me is if a virus sweeps through the world, it's probably not a good idea to lock them in their houses, keep them away from their family and send shitty food and alcohol to them. You got it. It's probably not a good idea. That's so if you want to, we can talk about that as well. Cause again, being a difficult kid, I am still a difficult adult. And when all of those rules came out in 2020, I was just like, yeah, that's a hard pass for me. I'm just going to, I've been living like it's 2019 this whole time. <laughs> well, I mean, going to the trauma side, we know that the mental health has got worse. We know that obesity has got worse. And this is my thing. Yeah, the, the the camps got divided. You were talking about tribalism in a negative way. But the, the underlying truth that should have emerged was firstly what the environment showed us. And it was amazing that, the, you know, the mother nature repairing herself for the short time until that was completely disregarded. But it was, you know, the underlying health. And some countries, Sweden and a lot of the other Scandinavian nations, did very well during this because they had healthy people. And they took that message and they carried along with it. A lot of the other places, this is my specific you know, perspective and opinion, the takeaway was make healthier people. What actually was done was the opposite. The takeaway from leadership is you pull people together in a time of crisis. What we actually saw was division of people. So you put that into a mental health side, the stress, the trauma destroyed people's immune system and made them even more vulnerable. So talk to me about your experience during that very strange time on the planet? Yes. Okay, so I am I'm very hard-headed. I did not wear a mask even one time. I wouldn't even wear it around my chin or neck. I was like, I refuse to believe in this nonsense. I refuse to participate in this nonsense, and I know a lot of people also thought that we were being hold things that were maybe a bit exaggerated and were also counterproductive for health. And they would still participate in it because they didn't want to offend anybody. And I'm like, I'll go ahead and offend people. It's fine. <laughs> somebody, somebody has to be out there breathing fresh air and showing other people that it's okay. And I've been healthy the entire time. Right. So, um, so that was part of the experience, just continuing to be me. What was also very interesting during that experience is I have a home office. So I facilitate sessions via Zoom, but also in person. And so I would be one of the only people still opening up my doors being like, yeah, come on in have a session. Doesn't matter to me. And, um, and almost every single client felt the same way that I did, but they were not as outspoken about it 
And what was also very interesting during that time is the people who were maintaining a very healthy, positive perspective during that time when lots of people were very, um, very worried is that our lives kept getting better. So we were getting job promotions. We were getting like it just in every metric, everything, our health was getting better. Our happiness was getting better. Our relationships were getting stronger. It was very interesting for those of us who maintain that healthy, happy perspective that we saw those positive shifts. And what was interesting was in the beginning, the first handful of months is my clients would say to me almost the same thing every time. And I felt it first too. We felt kind of guilty about how well we were doing when it seemed like the whole world was burning around us. But then eventually everybody just got used to it. And we were like, yeah, we're thriving. Hopefully everybody else will catch up soon. (laughs) So um, it was actually a really positive period. And if you want to get real weird, um, are you familiar with the concept of timelines? Do you know what that is? Um, educate me. I mean, I've got a, a basic you know, definition in my head, but it's probably not what you're talking about. Okay. Everybody buckle up. I'm about to sound really crazy. Um, <laughs> so, so, and actually what's very interesting is that quantum physics really does support a lot of the weirder things that I say. So there's usually the spiritual terminology that I use. And then quantum physics has their own like scientific version of the terminology. So it's really not that outside of the box um, in terms of certain areas of science. So there's this idea that everything is happening now, right? That time isn't actually real. And there's also this idea that there are infinite versions of us that exist out there. So there's a version. Exactly. I'm not well. So you're probably going to be able to fill in the gaps where I don't know. I haven't done any research on this, any reading on this. This is just me experiencing a lot of hypnosis and then coming to these conclusions from what I've experienced myself. Um, So I would love to hear any supporting data or evidence that you have. Um, And so knowing, knowing in quotes, that time isn't real and there are these infinite versions of us, what you can do is shift timelines. And so you can say, well, if there's a version of Courtney that is experiencing this positive thing, the current version of Courtney would like to move into quickly, why not ask to shift timelines, right? And so I was in Hawaii, I was sitting for a friend, she was on her way to Morocco, and it was March 12th of 2020. And you know how it is because you're a meditator. Not all meditations are created equal. Some of them you're like, yep, sat there for a couple of minutes. That was about all I did. And then others, you feel like you moved a mountain, right? And so this was one of those mountain moving energetically uh, versions of meditation where I asked to shift timelines where I moved to Hawaii happier, healthier, and faster, And so I've noticed that whenever I do a powerful timeline request, that it only takes about one or two hours and then the world will change in like a really, really significant way. And so for that one, about two hours later, my friend messaged me and she said, we've made it as far as Canada. They're turning the plane around. They won't let us go to Morocco. Is it okay if I swear on this podcast? Yes, as much as you want. Okay, thanks. I was like, what the shit timeline is this? (laughs) (laughs) This is not what I was hoping for. But of course, it ended up being perfect because what happened is I actually aborted my trip to Hawaii. I stayed there for far um, shorter than I was planning because Hawaii shut down so much faster than Virginia. Virginia actually never really shut down. That's why I was able to not wear a mask because I had all these places I was used to going to and they would just let me in 
no problem because they already liked me. Um, and so, so I shifted this timeline from, I, I think that I came from the timeline where they did the usual scare tactics of, you know, swine flu, avian flu, et cetera, et cetera, new cycle for like two or three weeks. And then they scare you with like the next new thing. I think I actually came from that timeline and then shifted into the shutdown timeline, which is why I was so confused for the first, honestly, it was a few months where I kept thinking like tomorrow, everybody's going to regain their sanity, right? Two weeks. Next day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. I know. I know. I know. Um, talk about the psychology behind that. As far as, have you heard of the foot in the door favor that they ask you for a small, this is a psychological technique where you ask somebody for a small favor, knowing that what you're really aiming for is a bigger favor, but you started off um, really small, really discreet. You get that easy. Yes. Which then actually opens up the pathway to the bigger. Yes. Later. So that was a psychological tool that was being used for that. Um, but yeah, so, um, ended up being grounded for a couple of years. Cause if you don't wear a mask, you can't get on airplanes. Right. And so it allowed me to focus very, very, um, a dedicated amount of time and energy to my business. So finishing my book, you and I published in the same year. We did. So I published, yeah, I published Cornflower in June of 2020. Were you July of 2020? Uh, September. Okay. I think maybe in your book, you mentioned that it's currently July. I was like, oh my gosh, like we're finishing our books at almost the exact same time. Um, that was also the year that I launched my very first certification training program for my students. I'd been asked for years to teach people in the style of hypnotherapy that I've perfected over the years of being a hypnotherapist. And every time they would ask me to teach it, I would say, oh, you know, I will in a few years. I will in a few years. And 2020 happens. And I'm like, well, I have nothing else to pay attention to. So it was this beautiful time period of finishing my book, starting the certification program. My clients were not afraid of anything. So they kept having sessions. So that was really blossoming as well. And so, yeah, because of all of that, I got to move to Hawaii much faster because my business grew so much. I was more independent and able to, to do what I wanted. It's perfect. Amazing. See, and this is the yeah. thing. There's so many positive stories that have come out of that. And just to be very clear, it was a real virus. There were people dying. But again, going back to my initial point, the answer was making people healthier. That was the thing, emotionally, spiritually, physically, etc. So it's always good when you hear these positive stories. It's not poo-pooing. It's not saying it was some conspiracy. It's just, as you as you talked about, uh, every single person I know initially said we didn't know what was going to happen. This thing was real. Every Everyone, whatever, wherever they are on the spectrum. But then there was a point where people go, yeah, then we realized it wasn't as bad as we thought. And it was from there on in that I think the mishandling happened. And the UK is a perfect example. You know, my beautiful British people were locked in their homes. They discover these politicians are having a party and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, okay, it's over now. Okay, well, then it obviously wasn't at that point a real thing. Otherwise, you wouldn't have let, you know what I mean? So... This is I what's do so know good. What you mean. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so here are any success stories of people that have thrived during during COVID, but also it's important that we carry on these conversations because at the end of it, people are like, oh, we just want to forget about it. Like, no, 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 no. You don't get to forget about it. What you yeah. did to the people of the world. We've got to learn from the people who did it well, and we've got to, you know, punish the people that didn't, that we were paying taxpayers money to put in certain positions. So I think the the healing and growth from people is a very important lesson. I mean, uh you know, story to hear, but also 
the lessons that remain unlearned, we've got to revisit. We've got to make our young and, and, and older people healthier and happier. And that's not anything that's come out the last two years. Oh, for sure. Also, um, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I'm definitely not one of those people that thinks that the whole thing was made up. I don't feel that way at all. I like you feel like the way that it was handled was actually counterproductive. Um, and what was interesting too, one of the reasons that I didn't wear masks is I actually am really close with somebody who used to travel to Asia all the time. And so on occasion over the years, he would Google, why do people in Asia wear masks? And all of the research studies pre 2020 would say the masks are not actually very effective. It's more like, um, like a social signal a social cue to say like I'm under the weather go ahead and keep your distance I want to make sure that I'm not accidentally getting you sick and that was the primary purpose for them and then as soon as 2020 happened all of that was scrubbed from Google and you could only find that information in books in the library which is really really interesting that it still existed but it was in hard copy in physical brick and mortar libraries um so for me I really care about taking care of people. And I know that's the other thing that I think um, people should talk about a bit more. Everybody, I think, came from the perspective of wanting to take good care of other people. Now, some people felt that that came by way of hand sanitizer. <laughs> and then people like me, I'm like, well, but let's pay attention to what works in the blue zones. And it's actually being able to talk to people. It's actually being able to hug people. It's actually um, being able to go outside and receive sunshine and vitamin D. So I kept doing all of the things that up until 2020, I was told worked and I believed worked. And so I just kept doing them. Um, but I do really respect that a lot of people did the opposite from a good place, that their heart was in the right place. But I do hope, and like you were saying, let's not forget about what happened. Um, and then can I segue into something really nice and weird? Yeah, if that's please. okay. Absolutely. Okay. I think that I've had multiple lifetimes that happened during World War II. So you don't have to incarnate as just one being at one time. Again, time's not real and our souls are limitless. So you can have multiple incarnations happening at the same time. And so I know of four, and this is actually really extraordinary for me. I don't have any other time period where my soul decided to incarnate in so many different beings. This is, this is an outlier. Um, so I had four lifetimes happening during the World War II era. And one of them was actually as um, a very ignorant, very ignorant, fell for the propaganda young woman in Austria um, who believed in the positive things that the Nazi party was saying. So I know that one of my lifetimes was me falling for the propaganda and not understanding about the atro atrocities until after they had already happened. And so for me, when 2020 happened, there was this distinct feeling of that I am not going to fall for the propaganda again. That that word again was such a key factor where I was like, nope, we don't do that again. And so that learning of the lessons is so key. We all make mistakes. You got to learn the lesson. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we've yeah. talked about it before. I mean, I've definitely f had reoccurring dreams that seem to connect me with a, a previous life. And, uh, you know, when now it's an interesting time now, because when especially these veterans and some of the first responders are starting to jump into the kind of 5-MeO-DMT and some of these psychedelics, they're having these awakenings, this awareness of being energy, this, you know, this, these conversations with God and all these things. So this conversation now in the world of psychedelics probably seems a lot more, a lot less woo woo than it would have been, say, 20 years ago. 
I love it. And you know what? I have to say, even like a few years ago, because luckily since I've had my finger on the pulse of spirituality and pretty mainstream areas, I mean, I was in Washington DC for a really long time. And what's been happening over the last several, several years is I used to have clients that would come in and say, oh my gosh, thank God you exist because I can't talk about this weird stuff to anybody else. Those sentences aren't really said anymore. It feels like there is much more of either a spiritual awakening or at least a spiritual openness. I call it weird friendly, like at least more people are weird friendly. And so for those who are listening, who are like, oh, Lord, I started to believe in some weird stuff. Just know that you're not alone. Like there are a lot of people who are weird friendly. So you can be more open about being yourself. Like it's a really good time to be spiritually aware and um and outside of the box absolutely well let's kind of get to that point where you walk through that door then you're an english major walk me through how you found yourself in the world of uh, hypnotherapy okay great question so what is interesting is also at uva and i i'm so i really do like the way that i grew up i mean it was rough and i wouldn't wish it on anybody else but i think it made me who i am and um part of that is also growing up in the ignorance of Appalachia, like nobody knew about hypnosis there. Nobody knew about past lives or reincarnation there. It just wasn't a thing that anybody ever talked about. So I didn't have anybody as a youngster saying this stuff is fake. It's not real or it's bad or, you know, all of these things that you might hear. And so my first exposure to the idea of reincarnation or hypnosis even existing was in my first couple of weeks at UVA. Remember we used to have televisions and (laughs) (laughs) things like 2020. And so it was some news program kind of like 2020. And there was this um, lady who had been regressed, had a past life memory of a bazaar somewhere in, I don't know if it was necessarily the Middle East, it may have been Middle East adjacent. And so um, it was one of those communities that hasn't changed very much over the centuries. And she happens to be an artist also. So she was able to draw out what this bazaar looked like. They put her on a plane because she knew the name of the town, all of these details. They put her on a plane. They're like, okay, let's go. Let's see how you're drawing your representation of this bazaar compares to the actual uh, place itself. And it was almost identical. And so me as a teenager, I'm watching this and I'm just like, whoa, that's amazing. So I love that the universe got me from the very beginning where they're like, just go ahead and believe in it. (laughs) So you don't have to have that hurdle later on. And so fast forward a few years, good old Oprah. She had Dr. Brian Weiss on her show. And he's really interesting because he was a massive skeptic about all of this. And he's a... Yale slash Harvard, Columbia. I can't remember which of the, but he's like very Ivy League. And so he was the lead psychiatrist at um, one of the university teaching schools in Miami. And he had a hypnosis client patient. um, And he used to take them into hypnosis to help them with relieving their phobias. But for this one patient, when he would try to help her with relieving her phobia via hypnosis, she wasn't getting anywhere like session after session after session. She's not getting anywhere. And he said, he's the sweetest guy ever. And he said, he's kind of embarrassed to admit that it was actually out of frustration that he said the thing that he said to her next, which is just go back to the time, go back to the time when it started. And she goes back into a past life. And he was like, this lady did not seem crazy up until this moment. (laughs) (laughs) And so she starts having these very vivid past life memories come in And this frustrating phobia that they had been working so hard to alleviate 
suddenly was gone. And, you know, I love that skeptics are also open-minded. And so he's like, I don't know what just happened here. I don't necessarily believe in it, but I know something worked. Right. And so then they start to heal more and more and more of her traumas and phobias by way of her going into these past lives. So then he gets curious and he starts to wonder, is there any research? Is there any peer-reviewed research on this? It was very interesting that the research was actually done at UVA. Go figure. And so Dr. Ian Stevenson has a lot of research on reincarnation. Anybody who's curious in the topic, Dr. Ian Stevenson, look it up. It's very interesting. Um, and so Oprah has Dr. Brian Weiss on her show and he talks about all of this and, you know, I'm already a believer. I'm like, that's so fascinating. And then he mentions his book, many lives, many masters. And I'm like, I like reading. So I went ahead and bought the book. And what's interesting is I figured it out later, but the universe sent me to Hawaii. I got notified that we'd be moving to Hawaii the same day that I bought that book. And so I took just a handful of books with me to Hawaii. That was one of them. And then it was the one that I felt drawn to reading first. And he's only ever come to Hawaii one time. And it was about a year and a half later. And he came to Honolulu and he had this one nice lady stand up in the crowd. He introduced everybody to Jamie. He said, said, I trained Jamie a year ago, get her business card. So I got her business card and had a session with her a week later and I've never been the same. (laughs) And I would like to talk about that just a little bit for those who are listening. I think this is really helpful information. Um, It's one of those great stories as far as like never giving up. I worked so diligently for about five years straight. Um, I started right around my birthday in 2008. Um, That's an interesting story we could get into more if you want to. But basically, I had two of my employees go to the CEO and tell the CEO how awful I was to work for. Um, And it's just one of those moments where you don't realize that you're the bully until something like that happens. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm the bully. I I had no idea. And so then I had to figure out like how to not be a bully. (laughs) And so I started to do a lot of meditation, do a lot of work in compassion. And so I was working very diligently from 2008 until 2013 when I started having these hypnosis sessions and I just wasn't making very much progress. I was making some, I was making some progress from daily meditation, changing my diet, my exercise, reading a lot of self-help books, but it, it was not enough of a change compared to the amount of effort that I was having to put into it. And then I had my very first hypnosis session. And even though it wasn't like, it wasn't anything to write home about, it was a fairly mundane past life that I went into, I felt better. And so it was just this very short session, not that interesting. I somehow felt better. And I was like, I have to try to do this again. Like something, something has changed and I need to do this again. And so then I started having weekly sessions with her and it went from mundane to super weird and super interesting very quickly. Um, And Jamie, she did such a good job facilitating sessions with me because she never got in my way. She, she let it get as weird and outside of the box as it needed to be. And I never got in my way. I let it get weird, even though neither one of us were expecting it. And that's how we were both able to grow and blossom so quickly because we just let the universe do what it needed to do. And it worked. So what were some of the things that you seemingly unlocked in some of those early sessions? You've had this in this kind of upbringing that you've touched on already. 
Um, you know, was there anything related to that generation? Or as we touched on, you know, what happened to your father? What happened to your mother? Did it go further back, you know, whether it was their lives or your life? Wow, there's a lot going on in this question, which is really good. Let's do the let's do the overall universal version of why I felt better. And then let's get into the specific with the parents. Are you ready? Okay. So this is something that would apply to everyone. So having, and probably everybody feels this way, even if they had a pretty good childhood, there it the world is kind of a scary place. I think that's a fair statement. Like anything can get you at any time, right? So like there is, there is this fear factor that happens just being here, period. And so especially if you grow up in a traumatic situation, that's very heightened. You're pretty convinced that nothing is okay ever, even though everything in your environment says that you're fine. On the inside, you feel like things are not fine. You're 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 constantly on edge, the anxiety, the depression, like it's just always this thing that is surrounding you. And so when I had that first session, I didn't understand it at the time, but I, I get it now. When I had that first session, what happened for me was that I was able to connect with something that wasn't this heavy, dense, scary place. I was able to start to open up to spiritual energy, to soul energy, to the universe's energy, to my spirit guides energy. And even though at the time I wouldn't have been able to use any of those words because I didn't know them yet, that is what was happening. It was taking me out of this very scary 3D version of things and then opening me up into the soul version of things and letting me touch it and taste it so that I had this feeling of, and this is this is the general takeaway from that first session. I just had this feeling that everything was actually okay. Such a simple sentence. It changes everything. Like just that notion that maybe everything really is actually okay total paradigm shift for the way I was perceiving and engaging in the world. So that's the universal takeaway. But then if you go, and this is actually a lifetime in Ireland. Um, it's an ancient Ireland lifetime. And I still, I'm this is maybe like five, six, seven sessions in, maybe a little earlier than that, but I still haven't um, necessarily cleared the stuff with my father at this point. Like I remember one of the earlier sessions, I knew that my, my father in that life was in the barn and I was about to go see him. And I felt so nervous because I was afraid it was my, the soul of my current life father, but then it ended up being the soul of my best friend who was amazing. So it was fun, but I was very nervous at the thought of even like having to see his soul energy in that past life. And so what happened in the ancient Ireland past life is I saw this man and he was running to protect the, this baby that he was cradling while he was running from whatever it was that was chasing them. And I entered into that past life memory, feeling the very strong love and protection, like fierce protection that he was feeling for this baby. And so knowing that that was the emotional content quality of that experience, I then started to get curious about, well, who is the man? Do I know him? Who is the baby? Do I know the baby? And so then the baby started to flash like as my face, like it would be baby's face, my face, baby's face, my face. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. All right. I'm the baby. And then I'm paying attention to, well, who is the father? Who is the man? It's like, holy shit. Holy shit. No way. No way. And it was the soul of my current life father. And it's one of those things where you're like, well, how do you wrap your brain around that? I mean, it's very easy for me to do now, but at the time I was like, what, what, what? I don't understand this at all, but I went with it because I didn't get in my own way. Thank goodness. 
I went with it. I was like, oh my God, like he loved me at one point. And it just like, even though it doesn't immediately fix all of the things, it opens you up to the possibility that this person that you decided was a supervillain might be more multifaceted <laughs> than, than just being a quote supervillain. And so then I opened up to finding out more and more and more about my history, soul history and connection with him. And I actually quite like him. I like him a lot. I probably won't talk to him again in the current life because I don't really see any reason to. But as far as a soul, I really like him. Um, and, and I also know about the thing that happened that broke down the relationship. And yeah, I'm at fault. So it's one of those things where you're like, okay, I get it, man. I get why, uh, why you had the hard hurt feelings. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, that was really, really helpful. And then, well, okay. You want to hear about the mother? Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So this one's a totally different version of things where I think that he and I have a longstanding soul bond. We don't always get along, but like there's a lot of mutual love and respect there. And then there's a long history there. And then with her, um, I think that she, and I, I don't like it when people casually toss around terms like this. So when I say this, I really mean it. I think that she's a bit of a younger soul. I think that she has less maturity um, than some of us. And so the soul contract with her, and this is a thing that I found out about in a session, which was super, super healing and liberating for me. Um, a lot of spiritual people will take the burden on themselves where they're like, well, if I'm just more patient, maybe everything will be okay. Maybe if I'm more generous, maybe if I'm more compassionate, maybe if I'm more, and then the spiritual person is just constantly trying to carry the burden of the relationship because they want to be a quote, good person. And it's like, maybe you're supposed to walk away. Like sometimes the walking away is actually the better thing to do. And so with her, I investigated what our soul contract is. And that's what you do. You know, you go into these lifetimes with each other and you're like, okay, I'm going to be the bad guy. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for being the bad guy. I'll get to learn a really good lesson because the bad thing that you did. Thank you. Right. So that can be a version of a contract. Another version could be, we're going to get married and we're going to have three kids. And by the way, let's make sure at one point we move to Alaska because we both really need to be near Denali for a few years. Right. Like that could be in a contract. And so with her, um, I actually was not supposed to stay bonded with her. Like she was supposed to be my mother. And we were supposed to have that 18 years with each other. And then we were supposed to move on. And my father did a great job of that. When we said goodbye to each other, we were both like, never see you again, right? Like, nah, never. <laughs> so, so he separated out really easily. He made it, he made it very clean. Um, she clung. She clung really hard. And because I'm doing this whole spiritual thing and I'm trying to be a really good person, I let the clinging happen for a very long time and it felt awful. And then um, once I realized like, oh, like we actually were not supposed to stay connected. It's really okay to let her go. It took a couple of years, but I finally did say goodbye to her and life is a lot more peaceful, a lot more peaceful and happier. And I'm rooting for her. Um, same thing with her. Like I'm rooting for her. I want her to do really well. I don't think I know her that well on the soul level. I don't think that we're that close or bonded on the soul level, but I still want good things for her. Um, and I got a lot of peace in my heart about saying goodbye to her where if I hadn't had that hypnosis session and found out about the contract, I don't know that I would feel okay. And I might still be, um, in a very dysfunctional relationship with her if I hadn't had that session. Well, it's just so interesting to hear it in 
the terms in the, the lens that you have. Firstly, when you talk about seeing that love you know of this perceived father daughter relationship when you were a baby that mirrors what i talk about all the time when it comes to addicts and prostitutes and homeless and you know bums as people like to call them these pigeonhole labels that we slap on human beings because they have you know become less than us and so we can look down our nose on them and the reminder is if you look at you know a preschool a bunch of toddlers walking around they're not dreaming of becoming any of those things. They're not having an issue with other kids that might end up, you know, becoming gay or, you know, different religions or they have different skin colors. They're just children. And they're all at that point, hopefully feeling loved. And then life happens and it sometimes devolves. So I think that's a really powerful perspective because you can be loved by someone else or you can actually just go and refind the love for yourself that you've forgotten through your addiction and the unaddressed trauma. The other thing with the relationships within, you know, use an example within family, but also I've talked about this when you're with a partner of whatever, you know, um, sex that you, you have a relationship with. Some it's, I would said people are like food. Sometimes you hear these amazing, you know, people that are honey and they met in high school and they die holding hands together. You know, that's the honey relationship. But there's some that are, uh, you know, gas station sushi where it's only supposed to be a few days, but that's okay as well. But this guilt and shame and this feeling of failure because your marriage didn't last, you know, a hundred years. I love that analogy because I think you can apply it to that too. You had, you met someone, you thought it was perfect, you got married, you had a child, it all went, you know, tits up for lack of a better word, and now you're heartbroken, your marriage is destroyed, you, your child now has to bounce from house to house, but that's what was supposed to happen. It's a hard thing to come to terms with, but I think, you know, allowing that to just be what it was, that this this starts at A and it ends in B, and now, you know, what what happens next is what you know, you can write that next chapter. And I had that with my divorce. I, I grieved my son, not my, my ex-wife, but he's become an amazing little boy. It didn't destroy him. It, it certainly hurt him. It certainly had some trauma to his life. But again, like you said, that trauma when addressed has become a strength. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. And then I also, I would like to encourage, well, if somebody has made it this far into the podcast, they probably are believing everything that I'm saying. But if there's some very diligent soul out there who's listening and they're like, this might be BS. Okay. So let's consider the possibility that this is all BS, but there's still like so many good takeaways that can be ha very happy and healthy and healing. And part of it is considering the possibility that there is a plan, right? An overall master plan. There is an overall contract. Even if you think it's BS, like allow yourself to entertain the idea for a bit. And here's why, because if you think that there's a chance that there was an intentional plan, then you open up to the idea that there must be some positive reason because your soul wouldn't do it otherwise. There must be some positive reason within all of the, the hurt and the trauma and the chaos and the pain. There must be a positive reason in there. And so that's a key takeaway where it's like, even if you think everything that I've said is completely bananas, Think about what are the potential positive reasons that anything has ever occurred. And that in itself is very, very healing because once you train your brain to start to find those positive things, they're everywhere. Like it's all positivity all the time. It's really incredible. And I actually used to be very, very pessimistic so much so that I had a boyfriend in college and he said to me, 
one, one thing that's funny about it is he didn't say it to try to hurt me. And I think that's why I believed him because he wasn't trying to be hurtful. He was just being very matter of fact. And he said to me, he was like, Courtney, you're the most negative person I have ever met. We were just in a grocery store looking at, I don't know, bread or something. And that's what he said. And I was just like, oh, okay, that's something to process. And so then I became an elementary school teacher. And what's interesting is the reason I started to train myself in positivity is because classroom management actually goes better with positive reinforcement than negative reinforcement. So it was actually me just trying to manage a bunch of wild kids through positivity They got my brain to start to train and looking for the good things that exist. And so that was really very helpful for me as I, you know, get into this healing work and understanding that there are always these lessons, always these positive reasons. My brain luckily was already trained and looking for the positive. And one thing that's really nice about this, as far as like the scientific backing to all of that, one thing that they have researched is if you score more highly on positivity, rather than skepticism, you actually will see positive things around you more easily. And one thing that they did is they hid, I won't bore you with the whole story, but they hid a $20 bill where people who were going from where they were filling out a Likert type scale to determine, are they more pessimistic or optimistic? Those who scored higher on optimism when they were walking from building A to building B to do whatever, fill out a form, get their check, whatever they needed to do next the ones who scored more highly on optimism would actually see the $20 bill lying there on the ground. And those who scored more highly on the negativity, they couldn't see it. So there is something when you're more positive where it actually allows you to even physically see the positive things, the opportunities that are around you. So yeah, just opening up to the idea that of course, everybody has a lot of hurt and trauma, but there really are a lot of positives within that. And if you can train yourself to start to look for them, the world really opens up in such a beautiful way. Yeah. Well, I see that in myself when I'm in a darker place and I've been very, very fortunate, never been in a very, very dark place. Like a lot of people that come on here have, but the world becomes myopic and you're looking through a drinking straw. But when you, for example, when I meditate, all of a sudden the world opens up again and your TV screen says, for example, there's a virus sweeping through and there's all these images of, you know, sometimes real hospitals that are overwhelmed. And at that particular moment, it's absolutely tragic. But then you look out your window and there's not war. There's not rockets falling in your street. There's not bodies lying in the road. It's actually beautiful. You know, maybe your neighbors are out, you know, your kids, the the neighbor kids are playing in the the park down the road and it's a beautiful day and there's, you know, the trees everywhere and you feel, you listen to the wind in the trees and the birds chirping and it sounds very kind of Disney-fied, but this is the incredible planet that we live in. But when we're sucked into our devices, when we're sucked into this clickbait news and we're sucked into the what I refer to as the bingo machine in your mind, those balls just bouncing around you forget that you we are we we won the uh the sperm lottery for a start you know we're we're having this amazing experience and whatever issue that we're completely focused on is 0.00% of your human experience and you're missing the other 99 point whatever yeah i have to say cuz i've reincarnated in a lot of places and i suspected for a long time that earth is my favorite place of all of the places. And my soul confirmed one time, oh, my soul actually had more of a masculine energy. 
Um, which is interesting because like for me, I love being a girl. It's great, but like there's a more masculine energy. So when I refer to my soul, I actually will say like he. Um, and so he was like, Yeah, Earth is definitely the best, it's the most beautiful, the nature is the most gorgeous. And I'm like, Yeah, it really is. It's so good. <laughs> so yeah, being here is really wonderful. And I like the idea of more people opening up to that it is a great place. It really is a great planet and to enjoy it more. Absolutely. So you are teaching young children, which is probably a great insight into, you know, that innocence and that blank canvas of a lot of us when we're younger. You are working with Jamie. Walk me through that kind of journey from student to teacher. Sure. Okay. And then also there's a little bit of a gap in there where I was an elementary school teacher, sixth grade science. It was super fun. I was the teacher that allowed people to do experiments and get their hands dirty. It was a great time. Um, but I left that profession and then became director of education for a nonprofit. That's where the two employees said to the CEO, she's pretty awful. <laughs> and so, so there's that five-year period. And then I get sent to Hawaii um, and so what's really interesting is that journey with Jamie, I was only going to be in Hawaii for about six to seven more months. And I want to say this, anybody who's living in Hawaii, she happily will let me say her name. Her name is Jamie Fujimoto. The reason I want to say this, in addition to her being amazing, she can take health insurance. I have never seen another spiritual hypnotherapist be able to take health insurance. Knowing somebody like that is like winning the lottery. If you have health insurance and you're in Hawaii, uh, she's on Oahu. Um, she's in the town of Kailua. And so I knew that this was helping me to feel better. I also knew because the universe lines everything up perfectly that I had a finite period of time with her because we were going to be moving back to the DC area in six or seven months. And so because of the health insurance, I was able to have a session with her every week for about six to seven months, which is amazing. And so knowing that I would be leaving and knowing that I'd had that really nice experience with the Brian Weiss group hypnosis event in Honolulu just a little bit earlier, I knew that he would, um, he would do these workshops that were between five to seven days and you could sign up to become a practitioner. So you could learn how to get certified in his method during the workshop. Or you could go just on the client side, like you didn't have any intention of becoming a practitioner, but these people need people to practice on. And so I actually signed up originally to be in the client role because I knew that I would want to reimmerse myself back into the spirit realm energy and feel all of that love and connection again. And so signed up with the intention of being in the client side. I'm really self-aware. I'm really on top of my thoughts and why I do what I do. I did not make the decision to become a practitioner. I just woke up one day and I was like, oh, oh, I'm taking this to become a practitioner. It was, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was just a realization where I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Good one team. That was clever. And so, um, yeah, so then took it as a practitioner in training and really lucked out. Um, I ended up making friends with this girl there who had tried so many times to go into hypnosis and to experience a past life. And it never, ever worked for her. Um, no matter how many times she tried. And I was like, well, I've never facilitated a hypnosis session. So if you can't go into hypnosis, my feelings won't be hurt because nobody else has been able to take you in. And so, um, the very first session I facilitated was a success. And she went into her very first past life and we were both like, holy crap. <laughs> and so it's just been fun ever since. Yeah. I got really lucky. 
I mean, well, I shouldn't, I should not say it that way. I have learned how to train people so that the success rate is extremely high. So it's not luck anymore. Um, but at the time it was a real roll of the dice if it would work or not. So luckily I perfected the method so that it's going to work, but yeah, I got really lucky. And so she and I are actually still close with each other to this day. <laughs> so walk me through the kind of spectrum of people that you've got to work with as far as clients, and then just kind of some of the physical and or mental ailments that they've walked through the door with that you have be able to help with. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. So I would say regarding the physical and emotional ailments, hypnosis is actually really good at addressing everything. I know that's such a blanket statement, but I've seen it work for so many different things. Um, I'll make sure to tell you a fun story about hip pain. Let's make sure that we bookmark that. And then um, regarding the, the client type, I think that a lot of times, understandably, clients tend to be drawn to practitioners that are a bit more like them. So because I put on my website that I have my master's degree in education and I'm a doctoral student, soon to be a doctoral candidate, I have a tendency to draw that demographic that really appreciates um, higher education. So my demographic tends to come from um, the more uh, professional areas. So I get a lot of people who are executives, um, a lot of people who are in the tech industry. It also just so happens I've lived in those geographic locations that have a high percentage of that population. So I tend to get a lot of overthinkers. <laughs> Their brain has been a very good teammate to them. So it's been fun. And I think that's also why I've gotten so good at what I do, because I'm constantly uh, in a loving way sparring with, dancing with an overthinker. And I too, go figure, am an overthinker. So I would say that's definitely a pretty clean demographic that I get the brainiacs. Um, and so it's been really fun to help them realize that their brain is not the only resource that they have, that they actually have a lot of wisdom from other places. And so their brain finally gets a break, which is a really big deal. Um, but then going back to the body, so we'll do the bookmark of the hip pain, and I mentioned this to you at the end of um, your session a few days ago, you know how we were talking about what is the healing like as a result of the sessions. And I mentioned that there are three primary versions of healing. There's that immediate version. Like when I had my first hypnosis session, I was like, I don't know why I feel better, but I do. That was immediate. And then you also have the longer term version of healing where on day one, you might feel a little bit better. And then as the time passes, especially if you have more than one session, then you can get a lot of exponential growth and healing from your sessions. So there's that long term version of things, too. And then this is one of my favorites because it's so weird. There is the healing that you do behind your own back. And that one is amazing and also a little bit frustrating because people don't give the hypnosis credit because they don't tie the two things together. Um, but it's so extreme in a fun way that I had this um, one young gentleman, he was about 24. He had had his first session about four months earlier, comes back. And you know how young guys can be sometimes they're not particularly verbose, some of them. And so I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And he's happy. He's happy, but he's just like, good. 
<laughs> just like monosyllabic, like one word answers. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to work on? He was like, oh, well, you know, and I'm like, man, he's giving me nothing. Like, I have no idea what he wants to work on today. I can tell he's happy, but I don't know what his goals are. And so I did something that I almost never do is I actually went back into his previous paperwork. And I was like, I need to ask him some questions to try to get something out of him today. And so I'm scanning the paperwork and I asked him, I was like, oh, like, hey, how is your hip pain doing? And he was like, oh, that's right. I had hip pain. He's like, I totally forgot about that. I was like, yeah, man, that was your number one goal (laughs) from the first session. So it's so extreme, so in total and complete the healing that you forget that you even had the issue which I think is very fascinating. And then knowing that that's a thing, it actually happened to me as well, where I had written down my list of goals for a session that I had in the fall of 2016. I was going through some of my old paperwork in the fall of 2019. So three full years later, ran into this sheet of paper that was just like from top to bottom, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper from top to bottom, bullet point after bullet point of bodily ailments that I was dealing with and wanted to heal. And looking at that sheet of paper three years later, I was just like, I don't have any of these anymore. And I forgot that I had them. Like I wasn't even, I wasn't giving hypnosis the credit. I was just like, oh my God, (laughs) like I had no idea. So one thing that I tell my clients is I'm like, hey, just write it down, put it in a safe place, a book where you're going to open it up later and run into it. I even say like, hey, put it in your calendar to check the sheet of paper six months later or 12 months later, however long you want, but put it, put it somewhere safe so you can read it later and really dazzle yourself with how much progress and healing that you've done behind your own back that you don't give yourself credit for because you don't realize it happened. So I want to get into our session and kind of get your perspective and you know, let people know about my experience. But just before we do, um, Ken Corigliani, excuse me, Ken Corigliano, um, he has been on the show just an incredible human being is absolute you know peak performance physically mentally and uh so when you guys did the session and what you were telling me is that ken had brought in some things that he wanted to improve on so we talk a lot about you know the hypnotherapy and all the other psychological tools to quote unquote address trauma talk to me about a lot of these high performers and and what they're trying to achieve as far as um you know some goals that they've been pursuing Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, when it comes to the high performers, and that's actually my very favorite demographic, because I like people who take action, because sometimes you'll get this amazing information in your session, and then you just sit on it. I'm like, ah, oh, why don't you take action on it? And so the high performers are so great, because they are going to take action. So what happens with a lot of them is that they have taken themselves as far as they can. Right. And there's there's some like, there's some wall that they hit. And sometimes they don't even know what to call it, what name to put on it. They don't know why it's happening. They just know that they have plateaued for some reason, that there is a block for some reason, that they know that there's this area where they are meant to excel more and they're not. And what's interesting for them is that they're so mm, achievement oriented, goal oriented, and they've had so many successes in the past. It can be really confusing and frustrating that that somehow they're blocked in this certain area. And so hypnosis is really, really nice for not only unblocking it, but helping you to understand why it's happening in the first place. And then what's nice about it is once you unblock one area, the dominoes start to fall, and then you actually have a lot of 
growth and progress and healing that happens indirectly as a result of that one domino falling. And so for, for those clients, they have a tendency to be very, um, rather than saying there's something bad that happened to me and I want to get rid of it. It's more like there's this really positive thing that I'm working toward. And I would like to smooth that out and do that in a more efficient and effective, um, and more enjoyable way. Um, and so Ken, he's such a great example of that too. And by the way, I would, I'm very, very discreet and respectful of my client's privacy. So I would never talk about this stuff openly, except for he has asked me to publish his sessions. And James, I love that you're open to me publishing your session as well. So I, I'm glad that we can talk about this one too. So normally I wouldn't talk about all of this so openly because he's encouraging it. And he's also even letting people watch his sessions. Um, he's been so great about revealing things after the session that I didn't even know were happening for him because a lot of the experience is internal. And if they don't narrate it, I don't even know that it happened. Right. And so apparently he, he's been carrying, he calls it luggage. He's been carrying a lot of luggage that he didn't even realize that he had until he had the sessions. And then when you feel that instantaneous, immediate lightening that happens when you release it and you let it go, that's actually the first moment that you realize how much you've been carrying once you can feel the relief of it being gone. And so that's a big side effect that has happened for him. Um, and then what's fun about that, energetically, he feels lighter, but physically he feels lighter where he's able to run faster and jump higher and do all of these interesting physical attributes that would go along with feeling lighter which I find to be fascinating. So he emotionally is feeling a lot better and physically is performing at a higher level. And then also when it comes to um, his goals mentally, he really has let a lot of the clutter, um, a lot of the clutter go, right? So if we're goal oriented, if we can let go of any of those distractions and any of those self-limitations, we can actually move toward that goal much faster and cleaner. And he's doing that really well also. Well, speaking of that, that's one of the things that I felt, and we just did one session as of now, but um, when we dug into it, I talked about that knot in my stomach, which I've been aware of even when I meditated, when I was in a uh, pretty dark place, probably one of the darkest places I've been outside of my divorce, which ultimately was burnout. When I look at it, it wasn't one thing. It was compounding. It was the end of uh, towards the end of COVID. I mean, just all the, the BS of that. Again, what we touched on before, that oppression that people were exposed to, um, it, it just kind of came to a head. But when we did our session, we focused on my stomach and there appeared to be these or for lack of a better word, trapped souls that were in there. And I'm sure they were representing all kinds of things from my past, but also I've talked about this openly on the show, the inability to save. I just had a lot of people die on me. Just This is one of the, um, excuse me, one of the uh, side effects of being what we call a black cloud. I was that paramedic that just got all the people that died. Um, but letting that go and then, you know, feeling how that, actual stomach felt like the anatomically how I was feeling um I can absolutely say I mirrored what Ken was going through there was a release of some things because I you know what I'm looking to do is open my mind to be able to write this book that I'm writing about and there's so much emotion tied up in this from my own journey from all the people that we see that we lose because there isn't a push for physical mental health in this country um 
but it's a complete avalanche of emotions and I'm trying to kind of dig my way out to find that that true north so I can write the book. So I just one first takeaway from my session is I absolutely can see what Ken was talking about when you let go of some of those things that you held in that you were unaware of. Yeah. Yeah, it it is so liberating and freeing. And there, the current you, because I've experienced it myself, right? So I'm in the club. Uh, the current you just kind of wants to give the former you a hug and be like, man, you were really carrying a lot of stuff that you did not actually need to carry. And then one thing that I want to make sure that we say that I think is such um, an important detail is remember when we were letting go of those those beings that were within your stomach? that we made sure to do so with love and gratitude. Do you remember that detail? I do, yes. It is such a key detail that we really look at everything with love and gratitude. And I guarantee that the healing goes faster when the love and gratitude are woven into it. So whether you're having a hypnosis session or not, you're just living life. If you look at things with more love and gratitude, you will actually progress so much faster. And I like to give this example where let's say, let's pretend it's the beings in your stomach and it would be very easy, very understandable for somebody to go, why are you there? You're making me feel bad. I don't like this. Go away right now, right? Like that would be a very easy stance to take with those beings in your stomach. Now, as somebody, have I mentioned that I was a difficult personality growing up and still am? If somebody said to me, I don't like you, go away, you're bad, I would immediately dig in my heels and go, F you, I'm just going to do what I want, right? Like that would be my natural reaction. Now, if somebody said, Courtney, you're accidentally hurting me. I appreciate what you're trying to do, but it actually feels really bad. Like I want to understand your perspective, but I also would like to end this pattern. Then I would just be like, oh crap, like I wasn't trying to hurt you. Yeah, let's talk about it and let's make it better, right? So if you treat these symptoms, these ailments, these energies in that same loving way where it's like, I know you're here for a reason. I want to give you the microphone, the platform. I want to hear you out and understand. I also want to have a lot of love and gratitude for you. The the letting go, the healing is so easy whenever it happens from that perspective. So I think that we could use that perspective if somebody cuts us off in traffic, where it's just like, thank you for slowing me down. I did need more patience today, <laughs> right? It just makes life a lot better. <laughs> okay, so tell me more about how you're feeling, if that's okay for me to ask, because I am curious. So one of the reflections I had after when... And for people listening, you know, obviously we're we're beginning the session, then we're trying to open ourselves out to what would be, as you refer to the team, you know, other spirits or energies that are, you know, around you. My beautiful German shepherd, Nini, that I lost last year, the very first thing that popped up. So she's, you know, clearly there. Um but then there was this kind of fish-like object that I referred to as Charlie. And this this at the time, I was acutely aware of that name. I, my youngest brother is going through some things himself at the moment. I just flew over to Portugal to try and be part of the team that surrounds him and gets him through his uh, you know challenges that he's going through at the moment. So when I look back now, I'm like, oh, actually, that wasn't so much a spirit that was with me. That was the very, very um, evidently present uh, issue that I'm dealing with. That's why I didn't feel like part of the team. But when I reflect now, 
there's a <laughs> I live in this this place in in the central of Florida and we have a lot of hawks and I've always felt felt very very connected with hawks when I was little there was this um film called Kess and it was about this little boy that befriended this kestrel I think it was her initially and then he had this relationship with it and I've always just had this solid connection well now I live in a place where there are hawks everywhere so I they're all different hawks but I prefer them all as Steve Stephen Hawking um every time they're probably male female who knows different hawks but regardless <laughs> but when I was thinking about it that really is that winged you know spirit that that genius as you talk about so um yeah it, it, there were those kind of trying to have those aha moments my very first session you know trying not to get in my own way as you said trying to interpret what i was seeing but it was some interesting um aha moments after the session the next few days of oh, okay you know my connection is actually the cardinals in my garden and the hawks and it's nature like i said nature is my my heaven so try and not now realizing you don't have to find the answers in that moment that might just crack the door for you to have some awareness after the session is finished oh yeah yeah the answers like i was saying there's the immediate that happens and there's also the longer term where the healing takes place over time the wisdom that comes in happens over time like when you were talking about writing your book and that you recalled that memory from when you were four and the fire and your sister, and that that was something that was living within you that whole time, but then came to the surface of your consciousness later on in life. And so the same thing can happen with the healing in the sessions, the wisdom of the sessions where you gain access to it, but then it raises to the level of your conscious awareness, maybe a few days later, maybe months later, sometimes years later, you'll make a connection from a session to something that you're experiencing. You're just like, Oh, twist. Okay. All right. Interesting connection. One thing that's also fun too is um, I'm sure eventually you'll read my book, Cornflower, and I talk about my primary spirit guides in that book. And my very first spirit guide that came in for me was a hawk. Oh, really? Yep. Yep. He's my number one. <laughs> so he's a Harris hawk. Yeah. Um, and I would see him so distinctly. I feel, I feel really grateful for this. I could see him so distinctly that I was able to do Google images and eventually find the hawk. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's a Harris hawk. Um, and what's interesting about the crow, you know, crows, they all look alike. Right. And then, um, that's my secondary, uh, so primary is hawk, secondary is crow. And then tertiary is owl. And what's interesting about the owls is it could be any kind of owl. Like it's never the same type of owl, which I find to be interesting. And then you're going to like this a lot. Um, so when I was having all of those sessions in Hawaii, I was going to take just like maybe two week break from having sessions because I was about to go to Japan and I leading up to it, I'm having more hypnosis sessions. I'm like, okay, team, like I'm about to go to Japan. What special things do you want me to experience while I'm there? Like, this is going to be really magical. And then they showed me a future life progression. So a lot of people are familiar with the concept of a past life regression, but there's also a future life progression that you can do. And so they showed me maybe, maybe about 200 years in the future. And I'm this young Japanese girl and I see this somewhat futuresque looking cityscape and I'm in a park. Right. And so this is, and remember, this is early in my journey. And so I'm not really thinking that I'm going to be able to make the world a better place in any way. I'm just trying to like, not be so miserable. That's my goal at that stage in 2013. And so they tell me that I'm there in that lifetime as a guardian 
for um, something that's a bit larger than Japan, but smaller than Asia. And so I'm a guardian for that portion of the world. I'm like, I did. And, you know, I was very open. I did not want to say this stuff to Jamie. I was just like, I sound like a megalomaniac. Like I sound completely bananas with this one. If I was like, okay, I know better. I should definitely just say it out loud, see what happens. And so I tell her about all of this. And um, it was, it was a really, really outside of the box session. Uh, But, but, and this whole idea of me being able to make the world a better place was definitely a new concept for me. Um, And so I kept thinking like, I wonder if I can find that park in Japan. And then even thought about doing the Google images, but I'm like, there are like a trillion parks in Japan. If I'm going to find it, it'll find me. Right. And so the first park that we went to when we got off the plane was Osaka castle park. And so I I walk into the park. I used to live in Osaka. Oh my gosh. Okay. 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 All right. So, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know the geographic orientation, so I'm not sure if I'm coming in for the East or the West or what, but I come in and there are crows there, right? No big deal. There are crows everywhere. So it's like, okay, Hey, number two, like, that's great. But I'm not really like thinking anything magical is about to happen. So then we get closer to the actual castle and there is a physical sign, which is funny. Cause you know, people say like, I want to see a sign. I'm like, well, there was one. And there was an owl, a real life owl in the middle of the day, sitting on this sign next to the castle. And so I'm paying attention um, to this owl and I'm like, whoa, okay, wait. So number two and number three of my guides are here. And as I'm like taking that in, I look over and right at the castle entrance is a gentleman who has on his arm, a real life Harris Hawk. All three of them were there at the same time. And, but wait, there's more. (laughs) And As we're leaving the castle and walking um, in a different uh, ingress, egress point, a different point, we're leaving. You know how when you're in deep thought, you're kind of staring at the sidewalk as you're walking. I'm taking all this in. I'm like, oh, my God, all three are here. And I look up and it's the futuristic cityscape that I'm looking at. I was like, okay. Like, I I think that I have to let go of my self-doubt. I think maybe... I'm made for more. I'm supposed to do bigger and better things than I realized. And so that, that session was the session that I doubted more than any of them. Like I have a tendency to believe that they're real. Um, That one, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. That one seems like a bridge too far, but then the universe was like, no, like we need you to believe in it. And we're going to send three birds (laughs) and make sure that you believe in it. And so that, that was really a big moment for me and letting go of the doubt that is so easy to harbor when it comes to these sessions, because they're so fantastical, right? But then when you have all three of your guides in the same place and the same cityscape in the same place, you really become a, a deep believer very quickly when things come into the physical in that way. So and that was the part where Osaka Castle is in, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I know, because I think it used to be, I forget if what it was made of before, but I know it was burnt down. And so there's like a, a newer version of it now. That's, I think it's all wood, if I'm not mistaken. It's been about 20 years since I was there. I don't have that great because obviously I was in a bit of a state of shock (laughs) (laughs) during that time. So I don't have that much of a memory of it, but I do have a picture of me with the hawk 
by the way, it's kind of like when people say, um, when they meet Tom Cruise in person, they're like, he's smaller than I was expecting. My hawk was smaller than I was expecting. <laughs> I was like meeting a celebrity, basically. I'm like, oh my God, it's the hawk. I'm like, oh, you're smaller than I was expecting. And his feathers were so soft. Um, and so I have a picture of me with him. And so I know that in that foundation that it's, I think, larger stones, but I actually don't really remember what the castle itself looks like. Yeah. because <laughs> What brought you to Osaka? Why were you there? I was doing stunts. I got hired to do, uh, to be a stuntman for Universal Studios when they opened uh, Osaka Park. That's so interesting. Okay. So you know about celebrities tending to be a bit small. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, some are bigger Box as well. included. Yeah, some, some <laughs> yeah. surprisingly bigger. But well, you talked about the uh, the book. So what made you write Cornflower? Mm, okay. So when I facilitate my hypnosis sessions now and the way that I teach my students is I always recommend recording the sessions. And the reason for that is that there's just so much magic in them that it is really, really nice to be able to go back and listen to the recordings later. Um, not just for the details, but also for the energy that's within the sessions. And so when I started out as a client, my practitioner, Jamie, at the time, she did not record the sessions. And so what I had to do again, because the universe is perfect, I had to, as soon as the sessions were over, I would jot down notes about what had happened in the sessions. And so because, you know, it, it was 2013, I finally had a smartphone. I was able to jot down the notes in my phone and then I would email them to myself. And so after week after week of jotting down these very interesting, very healing notes that started to seem to form a story, I kept having this persisting thought where I was like, there's a story in here. There's a story in here. And then sometimes the sessions would even connect to each other in very interesting ways. And I was like, there's an interesting story in here. And so eventually I just realized that these notes were in fact a book and then waited for a long time. You know how it is. Sometimes you're like, okay, creative inspiration any day now. And then weeks pass and then months pass. And you're like, okay, any year now. And so um, when I was back in Hawaii in early 2015, I was watching one of the Hunger Games. I was in a movie theater watching one of the Hunger Games. I'd actually just gotten there a few days earlier. I was about to be there for two and a half months to watch my friend's house. Um, she was a new grandma. And so she wanted to be in California with the new baby. And so I was about to have two and a half months of quiet in Hawaii to myself. And the beginning of the book just like poured in, uh, in like the last 10 minutes of the movie. And I am not a night owl. I'm definitely an early bird. So I hustle back to her house and I, and I, you know how it is when the creative inspiration is there, you don't sit on it. You take action, right? You have to take action when it, the juices are flowing. So I'm like, okay, F it. I know I need to go to bed, but I'm just going to make some tea, get some caffeine in my system, like get the, the first part of this book written out. And so remember, I've just gone to her house. I'm getting the water hot. I grab what looks like a plain white mug grab it out of the cupboard. And then as I'm getting all of the tea ready, I turn the mug and I see that there's one word written on the side of it and it says reincarnate. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was just like, okay, green light. <laughs> Let's write this thing. And then of course, because the universe is perfect, 
I was there for two and a half months, which was the exact amount of time that I needed to pull all of those stories together from all those sessions. And then, you know, scrap the stuff that's a little boring and then piece it together so that it wove together very nicely as a story. But then what did I do? Sat on it. I would do edits every several months. Like I would do another edit and sat on it for like five years until 2020 happened. And I was like, well, okay, I have nothing else to do. I guess I finished the book now. <laughs> and that's how it was actually born into the world. That's the hardest thing I think we're writing is immediately you start, you're like, okay, I got to get this done, you know, three months, four months. But the my first book started with a bunch of blogs that I wrote. I mean, you talk about uh, spiritual awakening, the first one I ever wrote, which I, I used a phrase that a, a engineer from Detroit said, I wish my mind could forget what my eyes have seen. Let me get that right. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And it was a, a mental health post. And it was crazy because I was up, I went to bed after this call, like two in the morning, and I just was lying there. And I, my mind was whirring. And I think we just lost, you know, at least a couple of first responders. And so I got up at like three in the morning, sat in the office in this fire station and wrote this entire blog posted it, went back to bed. And then the irony was it went like you know, the quote viral. It, it, I mean, I think millions of times ultimately it got read. Um, and I even met a guy in a, in a restaurant years later that said, you know, we were talking and I said my name. He goes, Did you write that that blog? And he was from Canada. So, <laughs> But it's amazing when it's time to write, it's time to write. But when I came to creating the book, which was going to use some of these blogs and a lot more and expand on it, it sat in, you know, it just sat for over a year because like it wasn't the right time. And I think that's with this book now is like now is the right time. Now I've actually got to get that discipline and that creativity back. But you've got this feeling like, oh, if I don't write it now, what if someone else writes it? Well, you kind of have to put that on the back shelf and be like, look, you will write it at the perfect time that you're supposed to write it. You'll find the perfect stories that are supposed to go in it. And that is such a hard thing to trust. But then you've also got to have that balance of the discipline like, yeah, you've got the inspiration, but inspiration is nothing without action. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's um tying it all back to hypnosis. I've got a few little tie-ins there, but that's one of the reasons that hypnosis is so nice because there is this almost torturous element of knowing that you're supposed to create something and then you don't do it and then you don't do it and then you don't do it. And it's kind of just always wearing on you in the back of your mind, sometimes the front of your mind. And so one of the great things about hypnosis is it allows you to finally let go of the luggage and the distraction and whatever it is that the self-limiting beliefs and actions, et cetera, allows you to let that go. So you can move forward in this way where (laughs) the torture is gone because you're actually doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. So life feels a lot better. And the excitement comes back because you get to be creative again. You get to look forward to the things that you're producing again, rather than having this feeling of dread, like, oh, another day has passed. And I still didn't do this thing that I wanted to do. And one thing that's fun is Cornflower is actually not my only book. I wrote a children's book also called Flower Friend. And I'd wanted to write a children's book for like 10 years. When I say like 10 years, I mean, actually 10 full years. I've been talking about it. And to a degree, I'm a little bit of an extreme personality. I sent myself to a deserted island in Thailand for like 12 days to work on writing children's books. Because I had this like torturous element in me where I was like, you got to do it. You're supposed to do it. You got to do it. And I wasn't doing it. So I'm like, okay, I'll send myself to a deserted island. 
I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and everything was garbage. It was not publish worthy <laughs> at all. Right. And so then, because I had spent that time in Thailand, just writing and being um, right off the beach, I remember coming back and this was June 13th of 2011, June 13th. I say to one of my colleagues, all I want to do is just sit by the ocean and write. That's all I want to do. Less than a month later, on July 11th, we get the call that we're moving to Hawaii and I was able to leave my job. <laughs> and so I then I spent another year and a half writing garbage. And then <laughs> and then I had my hypnosis sessions. And once I had my hypnosis sessions, whatever the, the garbagey version of what I was producing was able to fall away and the quality version that wanted to come out was able to surface. And so once I started having the hypnosis sessions, it was in early to mid April. And by my birthday, June 22nd, so only about two and a half months later, I had written it. I had illustrated it. I had figured out all the technology to put all that together. None of this is easy for me, by the way. And I had self-published it to Amazon. So it went from 10 years of talking about it to two and a half months of doing it. And the hypnosis 100% is the reason that that was able to come together so cleanly and with such high quality. Well, I want to hit one more topic, and then we'll talk about all the things that you do offer now for people that are listening. But we talked about hip pain, we talked about the high performers trying to find that that little extra piece in them trying to kind of calm down some of the white noise. What about the other side? obviously not mentioning names what are some of the the people that have come to you that have been in in crisis that this particular modality has helped give me a second i don't i don't get i don't get that many who are drawn who are experiencing uh crises you know why this is also a tough question for me i don't know that i perceive it as crises because i know they're going to be okay yeah, I actually, I am not coming up after hundreds of clients and thousands of sessions. Okay. Okay. I have two. I have two. Are you ready? But they, again, they have such happy, like I, I wouldn't put it in the category of crisis because it has such a happy everything. Um, okay. So, so here's the first one. And the theme is, yeah. The theme is children, which is interesting. So the first one is there's this really, yeah, I got it. I got a type, right? And so there's this brilliant uh, female lawyer and she's so good at everything that she does. And she's great at strategy and always achieves everything, right? And um, she had been trying to have a baby for about five years and had really actively been going after it for about three years, unsuccessful, unsuccessful, unsuccessful so painful for her emotionally that she took a two-year break from trying and then thought, okay, I need to try again. And I'm going to do it differently this time. I'm going to have a hypnosis session as part of all of this because I've heard about all these miracles. You know, what do I have to lose? Let me do something really weird and outside of the box because it can't get any worse than it's been. Right. And so she comes to me to have this hypnosis session and she's about to have her first fertility treatment after two years of being like, I can't deal with this anymore. She's about, uh, I'm sorry, not fertility treatment. Um, when they do the implantation, okay, yeah. that's what she's actually about to experience. I'm sorry. I, I'm not that familiar with that world. So 
I apologize. I'm using the wrong terminology, but the implantation is about to happen within like a couple of weeks, maybe even just a handful of days. And so she's like, I just want to get myself ready. Right. Like whatever wasn't working before, maybe it can work after I have hypnosis session. And so she had such a lackluster session where like, sometimes you really have to work for it with these sessions. Sometimes you're just like popping popcorn. And like the session is just the most interesting thing you've ever heard in your entire life. And you're just like, I'm not even doing any work. I'm just enjoying this really amazing story. And then others, man, they make you work so hard. <laughs> you're like, you're like grinding it out, trying to get something for them. And this was one of those sessions where like, brick wall after brick wall after nothingness after nothingness. And I was like, man, this is, this is a tough one. And in the final five minutes, right? Cause we, we got a schedule, right? Final five minutes, the energy of her father comes in and her father's on the other side. And so he comes in, says some nice things and then is about to leave. And I'm like, well, if he's on the other side and we always think of people on the other side as those who, who we've loved and have since crossed over. But the other side also includes the souls that are still incoming, right? And so I'm like, well, if he's there and he's talking to my client, maybe we can have him be a bridge and invite the baby's soul energy in as well. And so Hail Mary, I'm like, let's let's try this and see if it happens. And also, I should say this. I was a much newer practitioner. Me now, it wouldn't have been brick wall after brick wall after nothing after nothing. I would know exactly what to do now, but I was still very fresh with all of this back then. And so I'm like, hell, Mary, let's see if the, if the dad can get the baby to come in. And sure enough, final five minutes of the session, the baby comes in. And again, not much to write home about. It's just the baby's energy and the color of the baby's soul sort of embracing her and she's feeling it and vibing with it. That implantation worked. Healthy baby boy. I mean, that's so amazing. Like it makes me so happy. So, um, so I wouldn't put it in the category of crisis, but I feel she probably would have, right? Yeah. Um, and then the second story that comes to me, and I really love this because the little girl in the story is a teacher. And actually, she's the little girl that I referred to when I mentioned that Anne, right, might have some angel realm, realm origins because that seems to be a tag that um that they use whenever we get named is the, they'll put the the letters a n or e l um could be in there like my middle name is danielle so it actually is loaded up with <laughs> both of them um but yeah so this mother came to me and you know how it is sometimes sometimes kids decide to leave um and so this little 16 year old girl who like all the teachers loved her and her parents loved her and her sisters loved her. Like everybody loved her. And at 16, she just decided to go home. Right. And as a parent, I can't even imagine how horrible and confusing that would be. And so her mom to just try to connect to her daughter and try to understand and not even, not even say like why, but more just like feel that love and feel that connection again was really her goal just to be with her again in a different way. Um, she came to the session with that goal. And what's interesting is not all souls are like this, 
But her little girl was like so in my face, like energetically in my face. It was just like this bright. And this was before we even closed our eyes and started the session. I was like, whoa, like this one is extroverted. Like the bright yellow energy just right here. I was like, okay, we got to talk her. Like this is going to be really fun. And so the mom doesn't believe in all this stuff as strongly as I do. And so the mom is just kind of like, okay, okay, okay. I hope I hope you're right, but I don't know. Um, and so the mom is going into the session and I'm trying to not like overwhelm the session with like all this chatting the little girl is doing with me. I'm keeping all that quiet because I don't want to distract the mom. And so at a certain point, and the mom is feeling her, right? And then at a certain point, the little girl says, just to me, she's like, pretend that you have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, okay, all right. Okay. I will. And so I, I fake the need for a bathroom break. And so I asked the mom, I'm like, Hey, while you're in this nice, loving, peaceful energy, is it okay if I take a quick bathroom break and you can just like bathe in the positive energy, um, and, and quiet for a while. She's like, yeah, that's totally fine. So I go upstairs, go to the bathroom and the little girls like look up my obituary I'm like, okay. And cause I know her first name, I know her last name. And so I look it up and she's like, look at my middle name. I was like, okay. And she was the one who taught me that the AN is a marker for the angels. She was like, look at my middle name, see how it's like tucked in there. And I was like, yeah, you're totally right. So she taught me something and did a huge favor for her mom because at the end of the session, the mom was saying to me, like when she came up, her eyes are open again. The mom said to me, she was like, I didn't really feel confident that my daughter's energy was here and that I was really feeling her until you went to the bathroom. I was like, oh, interesting. Why? And she she was like, did she go with you to the bathroom? I was like, yeah, she's actually the one who sent me to the bathroom. I didn't even have to pee. She had me doing research. <laughs> so, she was like, yeah, when you went to the bathroom, I felt her leave and go with you. And that was actually the moment that I knew the energy was real. Cause if she could go away, that means that when I was feeling her, she was actually here. I was like, she, your daughter's smart. Like that one's clever. So, so yeah, I would say that that mom also would classify that as a crisis, but like the sessions are just so beautiful and positive it just feels like sunshine and rainbows to me. So I'm like, it's all rainbows. It's all sunshine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you hear obviously some of these mediums, some of whom I'm sure are really empathetic. Some of them are just good performers for television. Um, you know, and then sadly, that's the thing. The charlatans always ruin it for, for the people who are really, you know, in that space. But just listening to Ken's session, you know, witnessing what I did, you know, just opening yourself up, which my community is very kind of scientific. You know, we deal with with pumping fire engines and medical calculations and all these things. And if, you know, if I give this drug and I pump this chest here, then they should come alive. So we get kind of detached from that spiritual side. But when you look at religions, what we do believe if we are a Christian or a Muslim or, you know, a Hindu, it's all of this stuff. You know, whether it's angels on clouds or a very mean red man under the ground, you know, whatever it is, these are all manifestations, I think, of things that we've seen through cultures all around the planet. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's a big lesson for me and hopefully some other people is that just allow those doors to open a little bit, allow a little bit more of that spirituality to permeate because what if some of the things that we've talked about today is that key to that lock that you haven't been able to figure out and i know a lot of people are frustrated they go to these counselors they go do emdr they do some of these other things that work so well for some people but to have this toolbox that could be psychedelics it could be you know spiritual hypnosis could be all these different things 
knowing that this is another opportunity that might fit you, it's, it's, you know, it's great, which is why I love these conversations. Yeah. I love the healing strategy of throwing spaghetti against the wall where it's like, just try everything. Like you're worth it. Your happiness is worth it. Your health is worth it. Just try all of the things and see what sticks for you. And, um, Sometimes people can get disheartened because they're like, well, I tried this and it didn't work. And I tried this and it didn't work. And it's like, just keep going, like fail faster because eventually you'll get to your thing sooner if you just keep going. And for me, it took five years and hypnosis is just like, it's the best thing ever. (laughs) Well, speaking of that, then talk to me and then people listening about the things that you have to offer if they wanted to actually, you know, be... Um, have you worked with them? And also let's expand on to if they were so, you know, um, amazed by what they did that they wanted to actually pursue becoming a practitioner themselves. That, yeah, I think this is also a testament to how healing hypnosis is. Like I've never heard of anybody going to a psychologist and then saying, that's it. I'm dropping everything else that I've been doing and I am becoming a psychologist. Not, not, sorry, any psychologist listening, you're doing God's work. It's great. (laughs) But, but I've never heard anybody say that. I've had so many people experience hypnosis as a client and then go, that's it. Like I stop everything else that I'm doing now. I am becoming a hypnosis practitioner. This is the thing that really helps people. So um, if you want to work with me, basically in any capacity, you can go to my website, which is CourtneyStarkey.com. And I've got a wide variety of ways to work together. So if somebody wants to have one-on-one sessions, that is an option on the website. And then also if somebody wants to become trained in my style of hypnosis, the certification path is also laid out very nicely on the website. And then... Some people are like, I kind of want to toe dip all of this. I don't necessarily want to go full in, full speed ahead. What should I do? I have a group hypnosis membership, which is really nice. So it's a monthly online, so Zoom, uh, group session that people can try this out and feel, is this something that is a good fit for them? Is it something that helps them to feel better? And then also my book is on my website. So Oh, and a really nice thing that I'm enjoying doing is speaking about all of this and doing an experiential at corporate workshops. So I do, like I said, I love the thinkers, those engineers that are out there. That's actually my jam. I do really, really well with those who are very scientifically minded. So um, corporate speaking events to allow the corporate team to get the feeling for how effective this is. Yeah, I'm trying to reach as many people as possible because it is something that has helped me so much. I want to make sure that I do good service to the world and help more people experience it for themselves. Brilliant. Well, I would love to uh, throw a few closing questions at you if you've got time. I do have time and the interest. Let's go. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) So we talked about your book, Cornflower. And then what was the name of the the kid's book when you finished it, by the way? Flower friend. Oh, that's right. You did mention that. I've got it written down. Completely not on purpose that both of them have the word flower in it. Like that is one of those things that years later, I looked at them next to each other. I was just like, oh, oh, (laughs) that's weird. (laughs) So those are your books. Are there any books that you love to recommend written by someone else? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. Oh my gosh. Well, I basically, I'm one of those people that I love actual real books. I love being able to take notes in the margins. So it's funny as I have six books that are in front of me right now, 
One of them, it's really nice. It's newer to my collection. It's called One More Lights. I'm really enjoying. <laughs> I'm really enjoying reading James' book. Genuinely, I really, really am enjoying it. You're a very good author, so I'm extra excited to be one of the teammates that's helping you to open up and channel the second book. So I'm like, um, excuse me, I want to have one of the first copies. Thank you. You will. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> you're very welcome. So I'm enjoying your book a lot. I actually just got Ken's book in the mail a couple days ago as well. So Ken's book. Um, and then, okay, I'm really, this is going to be a, maybe he'll be one of your guests one day as well. Alex Hormozy. Do you know who that is? I do not know. Okay. So one thing that's very, very interesting as far as things coming full circle. So, you know, how I talked about my father and, you know, he had a little bit of an anger issue. Um, his profession in the world before he retired is that he was the health and physical education professor for our local community college. That's a very polysabic or poly, I can do it, polysyllabic, got it, polysyllabic way of saying he's basically a PE teacher for like 19 year olds. <laughs> so, so I grew up in a gym. I grew up around like very like physically fit guys. And so it's super funny to me that in this phase of my life where things are really kicking into another gear, who's a key player in that? Ken, Mr. Works Out All the Time, right? Then Ken is not even the one who introduced me to Alex's work. Alex, if you look him up, looks like he could be Mr. Universe, whatever Arnold Schwarzenegger was, looks like he could be that guy. And his book is actually on business. So for those out there who are interested in building their businesses, and I think that if you're doing healing work in the world, it's almost like your responsibility, honestly, to grow your business. Because when you grow your business, that means you're getting more clients, which means more people are getting to experience that healing energy and work for themselves. So I think that being very marketing savvy and business oriented is actually part of doing good work in the world. And so I've got Alex Hormozy's book here. Um, yeah, anything related to spiritual hypnosis, I love. And business building is the uh, the latest passion that I'm really enjoying to get more people aware of hypnotherapy. That's funny because that mirrors um, something that I've, I just spoke to Alana Stott and she wrote a book called How to Ask for Money. And she she came from the world of banking. She's an entrepreneur. She's an author. She's got a very powerful story herself. She was burned very badly as a child. Um, ended up becoming Mrs. Scotland and competed in Mrs. World. Um, but uh, a lot of people recently have been telling me, look, you you are behind the shield because you know, my my perspective is I'm behind the shield, literally. Like I'm, I don't want my face to be out there very much because I'm trying to be humble and it's about the guests. But a lot of people have kind of grabbed me by the lapels metaphorically and been like, dude, you, <laughs> you have to get out there or it's not gonna it's not gonna spread. And this, this is it. So you just kind of underlined again gotta get there's humility and then there's uh, meekness and i've i've definitely been too far in the meekness and i gotta get myself out there a little bit more because my goal is purely to get people exposed to this library of almost a hundred incredible people that have solutions to people's problems and then if they choose to buy the book i think the book is you know i love the book but you have to market and it sucks but you know i hate talking about money too i hate the business side of this but this is as you said very rightly that is part of how you grow you know, this message because you mentioned Oprah earlier. You know, She's not everyone's cup of tea, but I would argue she's done a lot of good things in, in her life and marketing is obviously a very big part of that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I really, I would encourage everybody who's doing good work in the world to think about marketing and business as being one of the responsibilities that you have in a a very happy way. It is essential that you master that. Otherwise, would you rather be able to help one person or a million people? Is the world a better place if a million people are helped? Yes. (laughs) It's a much better place. That's so interesting. See, uh, you know what? There is, there's something happening right now. And I love noticing these patterns, these waves that a lot of us are being positively impacted by. There's something happening right now with the healers. And I definitely put you in that category. I know you're a savior, but you're also a healer, right? Something is happening right now with the healers where they're coming out of hiding and they're ready to be seen. And it's for that very purpose. It's not about ego. It's not about like, I need the spotlight on me. It's like, no, I need the spotlight on this healing work. And I just happen to be the messenger that's talking about this healing work. So there is a shift that's occurring right now, which it's, it's high time (laughs) that we finally say like, no, I'm, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to put myself out there because this message and this healing is so important that I'm willing to take the risk of being seen. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's absolute need because the way that things have been done, when you look at the increasing ill health in this country, the increasing mental health challenges, the the traditional way just hasn't worked. And I say traditional, you know, very loosely, like the modern way. But there are so many incredible people in the world of spirituality and mental health and nutrition and exercise and, you know, injury re- rehabilitation and, you know, uh, I would argue ancient medicine, acupuncture and chiropractic and all these things. And they were suppressed for so long because of the other side of business that that chasing the holy monopoly rather than actually doing it for the benefit of the country so i am i'm am excited i think it's high time and if ever there was a a time for this to happen it was after what the planet just went through the last two or three years i'm sure that's part of why everybody's so ripe and ready for that um it's like we we're gestating <laughs> and everybody's ready to be born it's like okay let's go <laughs> absolutely i think especially with the leadership you know where there's this reverence for people you know, in a white coat with a stethoscope around the neck or, you know, at a in, in the White House or the Houses of Parliament. But we got to see behind the curtain. We got to see who truly was walking the walk, who truly did value the health of the people in their their, their nation. And we got to see the, the charlatans, the tyrants. So I think now the real, you know, the the real uh, authorities in their fields, the real compassionate leaders, it's, it's their time. You know, and we got to get rid of some of the chaff. Yeah. Or, or we'll probably never totally get rid of them, but let's use them as inspiration, right? Where for me, I feel even more passionate about making sure that my style of hypnosis gets out there because I don't, I don't think that any of the hypnotherapists that I would refer to have any ill intention at all. I don't think it's like that. I think they just don't know any better. There's a high level of ignorance in the spiritual community um, when they think that something that worked 30 years ago is like just the way it should be now. And I'm like, but 30 years have passed. Like you're not going to try to evolve anything at all. And so what's happening is these older styles of hypnosis that are really, really famous because, you know, amazing books have been written about that type of hypnotherapy. What keeps happening um, is that a lot of clients are being hurt by that style of hypnosis because they have all of these high expectations and they, they save their money and they wait for years to have these sessions. And then it's a huge letdown because the practitioner doesn't know what to do because the style hasn't evolved. 
in so long. And so I keep seeing client after client where they've been hurt by this style of hypnosis that does have good intentions, but it's just not turning out that way. And so for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's like lighting a fire under my butt where I'm like, oh my God, like I have to, I have to provide the remedy, the solution, not just for the clients, but also by the practitioners that don't understand why, why the sessions aren't going well, because they're being told if they just follow the script it's guaranteed to go well. And I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. that's not how this works anymore. The script isn't the key anymore. It's the going with the flow. That's the key. And so, yeah, it's like, okay, I have the solution better be brave and put myself out there and talk about the solution. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, speaking yeah. of being out there, what about a film and or documentary that you love? Ooh, okay. All right. All right. Interesting. All right, Britt Marling, we talk about you now. So um, the film that came to me first, and we could have gone in any direction with this, like Run Lola Run is amazing. Talk about like parallel timelines, German film from either 1999, maybe 2000, 2001, um, Run Lola Run. But what came to me first actually is I Origins. So it's I, like I am, and then Origins. And that is also a very interesting film about the possibility of reincarnation and soul connections. And then the connection there is Britt Marling. She um, She's one of these amazing people who, if she doesn't see the roles that she wants to play as an actress, she just writes them. You know, she just co-produces and co-directs them. <laughs> and so she's really taking charge of her own destiny and so the best television program I have ever watched was on Netflix. It was supposed to be five seasons. It's two because Netflix canceled it after the second season. But I had so many clients say to me, you have to watch the OA. You have to watch the OA. And so it's the, and then the letter O, and then the letter A. So the OA. Like you have to watch it. You have to watch it. And eventually I was in Hawaii, had some quiet time. And I was like, okay, it's time to watch it. And I, I did. And I was like, good Lord, no wonder they kept telling me that I should see this. And then um, I finished the second season. And a few weeks later, Netflix said they were not going to do the third season. I'm like, what? <laughs> people were protesting. Some people did hunger strikes. Like that's how much people love the show. And so um, Britt and her co-author, they say they're going to get the story to us somehow, like maybe turn it into a book so we can at least read about the way that season three, four, and five would have gone. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend both of those. Well, I know sometimes they love to then go with a competitor instead. If they, if they have the legal ability to, Netflix stops them and then, then Hulu or Amazon or someone will pick up the next one. So hopefully that happens. I have a very strong suspicion based on the way that they talk about it, that Netflix might own it. Ah, gotcha. Otherwise, what would be the hangup? Because it, it feels like they're going to try to do some way to get around something. And so I, I could be wrong, but I suspect that Netflix owns it. Brilliant. All right. Well, then yeah. what about um, a person? So is there a person that you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? And it can be anyone at all. Brian Weiss. You know how you mentioned that your crew is scientifically minded? Yes. So is Brian. 
<laughs> he can break it down really, really well. And for those who maybe are like, well, yes, James will procure this guest. But in the meantime, you can read Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Brian Weiss. And what's funny is in the beginning of the book, he works through all of his skepticism. And because I'm already a believer in the beginning of the book, I'm like, chop, chop, Brian, get to the good stuff. But then other people that I recommended the book to, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy he went through that whole beginning, the way that his skepticism broke down, because as they were reading it, they were going on their own skeptical journey with him and allowed their skepticism to fall away so that once he got to the good stuff, they were ready for it. So I would say anybody listening should read the book, Many Lives, Many Masters. Yes, James. He's a sweetheart. You know how they say never meet your heroes? You can meet Brian Weiss. He's really nice. He and I stayed in the same uh, B&B at that training that I was telling you about. And so I've seen the way that he is off stage when he doesn't know anybody is watching. He's a really kind person. Brilliant. He sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. All right. Well, then the very last question before we make sure where everyone, everyone knows where to find you. What do you do to decompress? What do I do to decompress? <laughs> I work. <laughs> I love my work so much. It's what I do. People are like, Courtney, you need to take a break. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, it's so fun. I mean, you saw me. I facilitated that session on you. I was getting a contact high. From you vibing so nicely with your spirit friends, I'm just over here like, yeah, this feels very lovely. Thanks, Charlie. You know, like, it's fun, right? Your dragon comes in and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> hey, your salt Fred. I mean, the whole thing is just so much fun. So for me, I get my social engagement, <laughs> not just the clients, but their souls and their spirit guides. Um, the energy is amazing. But yeah, outside of work, I like going into nature. I do leave the house. I like nature a lot. <laughs> well, with nature, that's, like I said, that's where I see heaven. Do you see any crossover with nature and then some of the spirits that you know would traditionally be more internal in the mind? When we go into hypnosis and we ask somebody to bring in an area of the world or the universe that brings them a lot of peace, now, I'm not saying this is going to happen 100% of the time forever and always, but 100% of the time that anybody I have ever worked with, whenever we're calling in a place that's very peaceful and nourishing to them, every single time they end up outside. And it could be in a mountaintop in Switzerland that in the current life they have never been to. It does not matter. Every single time it is always outside. And I think that we really should prioritize fresh air more going outside, being with the the green grass and the leaves on the trees and literally stopping and smelling the flowers. I think that if people built that into their day and made it an essential, it's not a nice to have, it's a need to have that they would actually just doing that one thing, spending time outside, they would start to feel a lot better. And even if they're like, I can't, Open up your windows in your house. I have a convertible. In 50 degree weather, you will see me in the streets of Washington with a coat and a hat and a scarf with the seat warmer on and my convertible top down. I look like a crazy person. I am much happier for it. <laughs> so fresh air, get it somehow. But yeah, go outside. That that for me is um, work and nature like everything see i've asked this question almost 800 times now and so often it is nature and it's never been i'm in the mop aisle in walmart 
So, you know, I, I can <laughs> I can see that. doesn't matter if you're talking about, you know, when the sun first come up and getting outside and grounding and looking at the sun or whether it's just simply sitting at my back porch. I'm very lucky they planted a tree when they built this house, the, the original owners. And now it's this massive maple that is beautiful, apart from when we get hurricanes and it's a little scary. Um, but, uh, you know, you just sit there and the wind's blowing through the, the palm throngs that my neighbors have got. And um, like I said, there's cardinals that come and they're chirping and it's just, it's amazing. But I think that's the problem. The best chirp. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're phenomenal. But, you know, so many of us are in boxes. And this is why, even though I became a paramedic and actually had my prereqs for, um, oh my goodness, physician's assistant, I couldn't do it because I just do not want to work in a building with no windows. You know, I was happy to take a, a patient there, give them the pass on, clean off the stretcher and then leave again. So, yeah, I think that's a big missing piece. And it is what was, again, totally... Uh, ruined in the whole COVID thing as they closed parks and beaches and told everyone to stay in, indoors and close your windows. God, maybe that virus is going to, you know, break into your windows. So make sure you seal everything up. And the actual answer to resilience was the opposite. Get outside, smell fresh air, get your, you know, take your shoes off, feel that grass on your feet. That would have probably saved some lives at least. A lot, I'm sure. Yeah, if you want a handbook for how to lead a healthy life, just do all of the opposite of what we were told to do I in said 2020. The same thing. And you're golden. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I said exactly the same thing. All right, well, then the very last question, you talked about the website. What about social media? Where are some other places to find you if people want to reach out that way? Okay, so for Instagram, it's Courtney underscore Starkey. For Twitter, it's Courtney. Hang in here with me underscore underscore <laughs> so two underscores it's Starkey. and then for um facebook i think it's courtney Starkey soul empowering hypnosis and then for youtube it's uh, listen go to courtneystarkey.com all the social media icons are there <laughs> i don't trust my memory i do trust my website <laughs> there we go there we go well, I just want to say thank you so much. I mean, firstly, you were so kind in giving me a free session um, for people that are listening, that are truly intrigued by that. We will have it out on both of our YouTube channels uh, in very, very near future. But as you talked about the spaghetti, I'm more than happy to, to, to you know, throw it against the wall. And that was definitely something that that was a positive, 100%, hands down. Um, so I talked to my wife about it. She definitely has some trauma that's unaddressed um and uh you know is, is processed a lot and is doing very well but i think that of all the modalities she's, she's kind of got a lot of walls up to the traditional practice but she was very intrigued about this so i'm hoping that down the road i can you know convince her to do a session with you as well but uh i want to say thank you so much for the session itself but also for coming on the podcast today and being so generous with your time is it okay if i reciprocate and thank you as well please <laughs> Seriously, thank you. I know that it sounds like I'm the generous one for facilitating the session, et cetera, et cetera. Both of us, we're both very generous because for me, and this ties into the theme of being seen and how it's our responsibility to let people in and we're vulnerable, but it actually helps make the world a better place. For the longest time, I couldn't get anybody to agree to have their sessions published. And it's because I work with these people who are so high achieving, but they're also very uh, they're very logical in the way that they approach things and they're very successful and they have reputations and, you know, all of that. And so 
I had all of this healing work that I was doing, but it had to stay hidden. And there is a big difference in talking about hypnosis sessions and actually allowing somebody to watch the hypnosis session. It's very, very different. So you can, the fact that you two are letting people actually see and watch from the very beginning to the very end, the hypnosis session is a huge deal and opening other people up to this type of healing that's extremely effective, but people just don't understand it yet. And so you guys are doing a huge service to the world, letting people watch those sessions. 